All right. Uh, thank you for hanging around for uh, Bible class this morning. We are starting a new series. Uh, you know, we, we went through a lot of the parables of Jesus, and now we're going to move more into a, a book theme, uh, which we're going to study First and Second Thessalonians for the next quarter, so approximately 13 weeks. And so I'm looking forward uh, to studying these two books with you. Uh, obviously, this is a little bit more of a, a different study than what we did last uh, quarter, because we are going to be sticking, you know, straight to the text. And so uh, it'd be helpful, uh, you know, prior to coming next uh, Sunday morning to read, uh, you know, First Thessalonians chapter 1, and, or even if you wanted to read uh, the whole book, uh, or both of the books ahead of time, just to get the whole context, that would uh, be extremely helpful as well. Uh, it's always good to go, you know, a verse-by-verse verse look at the scriptures so that, you know, a lot of times when we're studying, we, we might do a more of an over, overview and we don't catch, you know, everything, but we just kind of hit on the major topics. But this way, you know, we'll at least read every verse uh, together and hopefully comment on each verse and get to the point that Paul is trying to make for that church in Thessalonica. But before we, uh, you know, read uh, the first letter to Thessalonia. Uh, we're going to do some more introductory work uh, th- today, and we'll be in, uh, so if you have your Bibles, uh, Acts chapter 17 is where we'll be, uh, because this is the chapter where uh, the congregation there uh, actually gets established, and so we're going to uh, look at some things as far as Paul's uh, missionary journeys and where he went and uh, how he was received in those places. Uh, specifically, uh, but just a c- couple of uh, you know informational items that just want to point on. Uh, of course, the the author. Uh, there's no doubt about it to who the author is in both of these books because uh, he tells us in uh, chapter one and verse one of both of them that it's Paul, the apostle Paul, and we'll notice that it'll say uh, Paul and Timothy and Silas. Uh, not that Timothy Timothy and Silas were writing the letter, but they were right there with Paul. Uh, doing the work at, at that church. And uh, just to kind of give us some context as to when this letter was written, uh, it was around, you know, depending on which source you, you would read. And again, we don't know exactly the date, but we know right around uh, that it would have been around 50 AD or 51 AD, you know. And so uh, depending on where uh, you have, you know, Jesus dying on, on the calendar, whether it's at 30 AD or 33 AD, uh, you can see that we're, you know, uh, right around uh, 15 to 17 um, years after the death of Christ uh, is when uh, the church uh, would have received these letters. And, and some, some go on to say that, that First and Second Thessalonians are the oldest letters, inspired letters that Paul wrote. Uh, but others would contend uh, that, that Galatians was earlier than First um, and Second Thessalonians. But we just want to point that out that... First and Second Thessalonians, I'm going to say that a lot this quarter, I know, uh, that it is one of the earliest letters of Paul. So this was, would have been one of the earliest letters that the churches within the regions would have been getting as far as inspired. Um, because, uh, you know, because Paul is going to live until around 61, 62 A.D. And so, again, this is one of his earliest writings. And the theme of the purpose of these two letters. Of course, when Paul is writing, Paul doesn't write letters to every single church, at least uh, inspired letters that we have record of. 
Um, but when he does, it's writing for a purpose. And within First and Second Thessalonians, we can see that one of the main purposes that he's writing this letter is to talk about the second coming of Christ. And there's some error uh, that's going on within these congregations, and so he needs to correct that. And actually, about one-fourth of both those letters combined contain um, mentions of this. And so, again, this is a heavy a part of the theme of the book of First and Second Thessalonians is uh, you, you know, trying to uh, explain to them what's going to happen. Because some of them uh, were very eager for it to happen within their lifetime or, or within you know, the next few months or so. And so they were kind of taking it easy, uh, being a little bit lackadaisical in their, uh, in their efforts and things. And so Paul needed to write to them and let them know that you know, we don't know when this day is coming. And uh, we need to just be pre- prepared for it. And so uh, he writes a lot about that. You know, some other themes within this book is he wants to further encourage the brethren because of the persecution. Uh, we're going to see in Acts chapter 17 is that there was some persecution that came against Paul. And Paul had to hightail it out of Thessalonica. And so there was persecution there. And... Um, and also uh, some of the minor things that he talks about, uh, especially towards the end of Second Thessalonians, is how to treat those uh, who do not obey. And so we're gonna, you know, we're gonna touch on each of these things again as we go. But again, more of an introduction uh, to uh, these letters. Uh, Thessalonica was this was a major city. Uh, it was the capital of Macedonia. And so let me go ahead and turn to uh, the the map. We're just gonna look at this. The and I don't know why that's got most of that covered up at the top. Okay. Um, that's not going to be helpful for us. Let me see if there's something in the way. Looks like... There, that... That's better. Okay, I don't know what happened there, but uh, it was covering up most of the map. But we got that. But uh, Thessalonica, which is uh, right here, you can, you can see uh, that it is a major city. Again, the capital of Macedonia, which Macedonia is going to be you know, this big landmass up here. And um, it's named after the sister of Alexander the Great. Um, it's a seaport city, so you can see the, the Aegean Sea is right here, and you can see that it's right here on the coast. So that, of course, is a big plus because uh, it's going to be a big place for commerce, a seaport city. And what we're also going to find out is unlike uh, Philippi, uh, which is right here, uh, Thessalonia had a pretty big Jewish population. And so that's going to be a big deal for Paul. Because where does he always go first when he enters a new city? The synagogue. Yeah, right. He goes to the synagogue. He goes to the Jew first and then also the Greek. And so um, Thessalonia, Th- Thessalonica has a synagogue. And we'll notice that here in uh, Acts chapter 17. But just by way of review, uh, if we remember Paul's first missionary journey that we read about in Acts chapter 13 and 14... Uh, here, here's sort of the line that uh, Paul takes. So we're, we're always starting out over here in uh, Antioch of Syria. Um, you know, just like there's, if someone says, uh, you know, I live in Colombia, you know, 
people here, you know, will think automatically think Columbia, Kentucky, but others will think Columbia, Tennessee, Columbia, South Carolina. You know, Columbia is all over the place. Maybe it's the country, Columbia. Uh, same thing, same deal here with with, the, with Antioch. Uh, there's Antioch of Syria and Antioch of, uh, of Phrygia, and so uh, Paul starting here again. This is his first missionary journey. Uh, he takes that down here into this island of Cyprus, and then he's going to go up through Perga and Pisidia and Antioch and Lyconia, Iconium, Derby. And then he retraces his step and goes all the way back to uh, Antioch. And so that's his first missionary journey where he's only visiting the churches in Galatia. So, again, this region right here is Galatia. Um, And so these are those churches that he first meets on the first missionary journey uh, that he has. Again, Acts chapter 13 and 14. And so Paul, on those missionary journeys, he takes along uh, Barnabas and he takes along John Mark who is, uh, we better know him as just Mark, uh, the, the writer of the Gospel of Mark. Um, but Mark, he leaves them in chapter 13, verse 13. We're not really told why, but he decides to leave uh, the journey with them. So when we get to the second missionary journey that begins in Acts chapter 15, verse 36, and goes through uh, Acts chapter 18, which is uh, the the second missionary journey is the one which Scripture reveals the most to us. And that's what this map up here is uh, showing us, uh, Paul's travels for the second missionary journey. It, it's a much bigger uh, journey that he is going on. Uh, he gets with Barnabas and they decide to go. But Barnabas, if you remember, he wants to bring John Mark with him. Uh, but Paul says, absolutely not. Again, we don't know why they, they separated the first place. Uh, but when they go to, um, you know, start this second trip, uh, Paul does not want to bring John Mark with them. And so Barnabas and Paul Mark, they go and travel to Cyprus, just like in that first missionary journey. But Paul is going to bring with him a new uh, person that's introduced to us by the name of Silas, or sometimes you see in Scripture, Silvanius. But, uh, but Paul and Silas, that's going to be Paul's new traveling uh, partner, uh, they're going to again start right here in Antioch, Assyria, and they're going to go, you know, all the way around here until eventually uh, they get back. And again, that's Acts chapter fifteen, verse thirty-six through uh, Acts chapter eighteen. And we should we should point out as well is that when uh, Paul and Silas get to uh, Derby, Lystra, Iconium in this area, they pick up. Uh, this this young uh, man by the name of Timothy. And so, of course, we're very f- familiar with Timothy because Timothy is going to play a big part in Paul's uh, work and his ministry. And Paul is go- going to send him off to preach in different places and send him, you know, other places to deliver letters and check on the churches there. And so um, he's a big part of Paul's ministry. And even uh, another person that we sometimes uh, know that's with them in their travels Uh, Look with me in Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 8. Now, let let me ask this question. Who wrote the book of Acts? Luke, right. So Luke writes the book of Acts, but he never mentions himself uh, specifically. But if we looked in uh, Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 8... Uh, Luke records for us, and passing by Myasia, they came down to Troas. And so we notice the pronouns 
in here, uh, you know, that says that they came down. So he's referring, you know, to the group, to Paul, to, to Silas, to Timothy. But it's interesting when we get to verse uh, 10, it says, when we had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. So now Luke is saying we. He's involving himself. Um, he does this throughout the book of Acts. You know, sometimes uh, he, he leaves himself out. Sometimes he includes himself in there. But, you know, again, uh, in this traveling uh, companion, companions of Paul and Silas and Timothy, you know, Luke's there sometimes as well. And so uh, as the second missionary journey uh, begins, again, they are leaving Antioch of Syria. They go to Tarsus. And again, they're, they're going back to some of these churches that they established in the first missionary journey in Derby and Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. And now they're making their way over into Myasia and Troas. And let's pick up at uh, verses 6 and 7 of chapter 16. It says, They passed through the five region and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Myasia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Right, so at some point in this journey, you know, they're wanting to go this way. They're wanting to go north towards Bithynia. But for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit is keeping pushing them this way, uh, westward, uh, towards uh, Troas. And so they're, they're wanting to go what we know as modern-day Turkey, kind of up into that area. Um, there were some important Greek cities in that region, but again, the Holy Spirit was pushing them westward. And uh, they get to Troas, and they've gone as far as they're allowed by, by land, because again, we have, the, uh, we have the Aegean Sea there. And so, you know, if Paul had any uh, reluctance about continuing his trek in that direction, you know, God dispelled it. Look at, look at verse 9. It says, Then a vision appeared to Paul. In the night, a man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When we had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on that day following to Neapolis, and, there, and from there to Philippi, uh, which is in... The lead, or which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. So again, so, you know, Paul and, his, and Silas and Timothy and Luke, they're here. They really wanted to go this way, but God is leading them this way where he has the vision. They come over to modern uh, Europe, modern day Europe. And, uh, you know, they, they touch Samothrace and Neapolis and it's really Philippi. Uh, that we are very familiar with. Uh, we're very familiar with Philippi because Acts chapter 16 gives us a lot of information about that. Um, the first person that they encounter in Philippi is a woman named Lydia. And she, uh, you know, she made those purple fabrics and, uh, and they were worshiping down by the, the river and uh, they, you know, they, they came together and and basically started to build that congregation there in Philippi. And if you remember also in Philippi, that, that Paul and Silas were, were traveling, and there was this little girl who had the, the spirit of divination uh, within her, and she was um, 
you know, she was doing a lot of things that was annoying Paul. And so Paul cast out that spirit out of her. And you remember her, her masters were extremely upset about this uh, because they were making money. They were, they were profiting off this uh, little girl. And so they take Paul and Silas and they drag them uh, to the officials and uh, they are thrown in prison. And of course, there is, uh, you know, maybe all of that. Um, was uh, divinely orchestrated by God, providential, uh, because uh, they end up in prison uh, where they convert the, the jailer. They convert the, the Philippian jailer, and after that we're told that they go back to Lydia's in verse, uh, in verse 21 and, and following, excuse me, verse 40, uh, they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia, and when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them and they departed. And so Paul is uh, beginning to um, set up these uh, congregations, churches within uh, Macedonia. Again, Europe, uh, a place where the, the gospel uh, really hasn't been yet. And, and so as we see, um, I want you to notice up here on this map also this, this dotted line right here that goes all the way from Bithanium to the edge of here almost to Italy and Rome if it were to cross the Adriatic Sea. This is known as the Ignatian Way. This was a very important uh, road system in the day. And so we can see that it is quite uh, you know, evident that it goes through Philippi and goes through Thessalonica, and that's, that's a big deal. It's going uh, through those major cities. It's a roadway that uh, everyone's going to take to get from one spot to the, the other. And this, is, this plays a big deal in uh, you know, Paul coming to Thessalonica. So let's uh, look at um, Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 1. It says, Now when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, there, there, or where there was a synagogue of the Jews. So again, uh, you know, we get, another, get a couple more of these cities named, but really we're not told much what happens. But the, the, the point is, is that we are coming into Thessalonica here in chapter 17. And again, this is going to be a big deal for Paul because he's going to stop and stay a while, just like he did in Philippi. And so let, let's, let's read these verses, at least the first four, and, and talk about them as well. So again, now when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus who I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. So we notice that, you know, right off the bat, there, there is a synagogue here in Thessalonica. There wasn't a synagogue in Philippi, but there was one in Thessalonica, which leads us to believe is that there was a, a great population of Jewish individuals there. Right? And so Paul is probably, you know, smiling a little bit because he knows that not that his work is going to be easier, but at least that when he goes in to talk to these individuals, they know something about God. They know something about the scriptures. Uh, they know something uh, about God's will. And he's not going to have to start from scratch like he does later in Acts chapter 17 when he goes to Athens and he's preaching before uh, the Gentiles. And so he comes into Thessalonica. 
Again, uh, there's a synagogue there, which means uh, you had to have at least 10 Jewish men in a city to form a synagogue. And so we know that there was at least 10 Jewish men, uh, probably more here. And as was his custom, he went to the Jew first and then to the Greek. And he began to preach to them. And we notice, um, we notice in verses 2 and 3 are specifically you know, really good verses uh, for us to you know, concentrate on and what it means to you know, study the scriptures. Because we notice, uh, notice again what Paul did. It says, according to Paul's custom, he went to them. And for three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. Right? He, he, uh, literally what he did was he opened the, the Old Testament scrolls and he placed it before them. He reasoned with them. He explained to them. He proved uh, using evidence, giving evidence, and then he proclaimed to them. And we kind of see it sort of backwards in, in today's day and age where you know, people want to, you know, they want to feel rather than to reason. They want this experience when they come to worship of you know, feeling something rather than you know, logically reasoning and you know, having things explained to them and then proving them, you know, getting the evidence, going to the book and finding the evidence for it. And then proclaiming it. And so we also know that, uh, according to verse 2, that he was there for three Sabbaths. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that he was only there for three weeks. Uh, it could have been a little bit longer than that. But that's the short, the short time frame that he had in this city to work uh, with uh, the people of this city. And so uh, as to why, uh, you know, maybe this was one of the earliest letters of Paul, well, this is... A very early church, and he is—he's uh, only got, you know, maybe a month's worth of time laboring with them and teaching them, and so, um, and so we notice that again that this is one of the earlier letters of Paul, and we also notice the 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 act of what he is preaching again in verse three. Um, this Jesus, who I am proclaiming to you, is the Christ. It was necessary for Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, and that Jesus was the Christ. That was his central message. That was his theme. That's what he was, um, again, speaking to the Jewish population. Again, he's not going to have to start from scratch, because uh, these aren't Gentiles. These, these are Jews. They, they understand something of the scriptures. They understand something about God. And so he goes in, and he starts, to, he starts with them and teaches uh, them those things. Now, Many Jews believed that the Messiah would reign a kingdom like David. Right? They, they were looking for this great leader that was going to come and you know, be this physical leader that was going to rise up against the Roman oppression. And they would you know, take their nation back and they would you know, build up an army again, just like in the days of Saul and David. And so uh, that's what they were looking for. And you know, sometimes you know, when we read... Uh, some of the scriptures in the Old Testament, you know, we might think that as well. If we were to read passages like Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, when, when the Jews would have read this, um, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. 
And even in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5, notice what Jeremiah here uh, writes about, about this coming administration. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. So a lot of times, you know, we can't necessarily, um, you know, blame the Jews for, the, for how they reacted. You know, I think a lot of us in that same situation, we would be looking for that, uh, that, that king as well, for, for uh, that, um, that leader that's going to come back and, um, you know, get them out of the, the bondage that they're in. Uh, but also, you know, there are passages that they should have been familiar with as well. Uh, Isaiah chapter 53, for instance, verses 4 and 5. Surely our griefs he bore, he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, we are healed. Right? So Isaiah also wrote, uh, not necessarily about uh, you know, this administrative uh, king that was going to come, but also you know, the spiritual aspect of this king, that he's going to take the sins away from the people. He's going to take the burden uh, away from the people. And so they should have uh, understood that. But Paul's uh, experience with the Jews at Thessalonica followed the same pattern that he encountered elsewhere. You know, sometimes he would go in and he'd have little success, but for the most part, he's going to be run out of town. He's going to be rejected. So again, back in Acts chapter 17 and verse 4, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. So some of the Jews uh, believed in Paul's teaching and preaching. Uh, a lot of the, the God-fearing Greeks... Um, you know, the, these would be uh, the Greeks who didn't necessarily uh, follow uh, Judaism, uh, but they, they respected it. Uh, you remember the centurion in Luke chapter si- 7 when Jesus was uh, walking and they, the, his friends came to Jesus and they said, uh, you know, you, you need to help this man, the centurion uh, who has this slave who, who needs to be healed. You know, he, he's a great man. He's done great things for our city. He loves and respects our city. You know, that's the type of God-fearing Greeks uh, that, that we're talking about here. Those who respected the Jewish customs, uh, although they didn't practice it, uh, they weren't circumcised individuals, they didn't restrain themselves from the, the meat restrictions that they would have or anything else, uh, but they loved the nation of Israel and respected it. And so those people uh, here, where we notice, are converted. They become Christians. And also, it tells us at the end of verse 4, a large number of the leading women... Now, whether uh, you know, that meant that the, these were wealthy women or that they, were, they came from important families or you know, they, were, they were the wives of the, uh, the leaders of the, the city, uh, we don't necessarily know. Uh, but it's interesting that within the book of Acts, this comes up uh, over and over again. And in verse 12, uh, when they come to Berea, again it says, Therefore many of them believed along with a number of the prominent Greek women and men. So why does Luke let us know this? Um, we're not exactly sure, but it, that, but it appears uh, that you know, many Gentile women were attracted to the morals and ethics of Judaism, and then especially to Christianity. Uh, you know, we can understand why that would be. 
You know, again, you know, in the, the pagan culture at this time, especially in places like uh, Corinth and, uh, you know, the, 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 with the, the, temple, the temple prostitute situation with, uh, you know, men uh, having multiple wives. And, and again, not talking about the Jewish nation, but the pagan nation around, the Gentile nation. You know, the, these women, uh, when they saw these things, when they saw how the Jewish uh, men and women acted, and you know that was appealing to them uh, when they were following god 's laws their uh, god 's morals god 's ethics that was appealing to them uh, rather than what they were living in around them and so maybe perhaps that 's why uh, we see time and time again the scripture refers to a number of the leading women uh, joined uh, Paul were converted uh, were Christians became christians uh, but, but it 's just interesting to note that and now let 's look at verses five through nine. Because now Paul is going to start uh, to be persecuted for uh, this great work that he's doing. So it says, But the Jews became jealous, and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring him out to the people. When they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the world have come here also. And Jason has welcomed them, and they are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another King Jesus. They stirred up the crowd and in the city authorities who heard these things, and when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. So, uh, you know, the, the Jews, uh, the presence of the Jews in major population centers of, you know, the Roman Empire, like here, uh, they offered Christian missionaries. Again, immediate openings to come in and start to get to work. Uh, like I said, you know, Paul is probably smiling when he finds out there's a synagogue here. Uh, again, because the Jews only understood, uh, you know, the one God, the law and the Psalms, the patriarchs and the prophets. You know, they, they understood this. So Paul is probably extremely happy when he goes in uh, to get to work. Um, but as it happens, many of the times when he goes into these cities that he's going to be chased away. He's going to be chased away by those Jews who are jealous that they're seeing that such a great things are happening, uh, that they're seeing some of their own con- or seeing some of their own people being converted to Christianity, and so they form these mobs um, and chase them away. Uh, notice again in verse five, because uh, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, they formed a mob. Right? They went down to the marketplace. And they found some of these, uh, what the Bible refers to as wicked people here. And maybe they paid them off and said, you know, Paul is disrupting the city. Go get him. And they start to chase him out. Uh, They can't necessarily find him, uh, but they go to this man by the name of Jason in in verse 6. Jason is a a Greek name, but uh, uh, he may have been a God-fearing Greek who became a Christian. Um, again, we don't know that, but there's this, this mob in tow and the Jews, uh, they assault Jason's house. And Paul may have, again, may, he may have already left the city. We just don't know. But the mob dragged Jason and the other believers there before the city magistrates. And, you know, civil disputes between the Jewish people, uh, it probably wasn't going to go anywhere. Right? You know, they understood that, uh, you know, within the, the whole scheme, the whole context of what's going on. Uh, they, they understand that you know, they're not going to get anywhere with their own little squabbles. And so what do they do? Why, why would they get the Romans involved? Right. The, the Romans are the, 
they're the government system of the day. They're the ones that can enact uh, those type of procedures. And so they, uh, they, they go to uh, the city authorities and they say, these men who have upset the world have come here today. And also uh, he says there that, um, that they're declaring, look at verse 7. And Jason has welcomed them and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar saying there is another King Jesus. Right? He's saying that the, the, the Jews, um, they're following another king. They're putting somebody up on the level of Caesar. And this being, of course, Jesus. And so uh, it's kind of smart, but what they're doing is uh, they're getting the Romans involved. Again, the Romans are the governmental officials of the day. Um, they're the ones that can throw someone in prison or, or any of those aspects. And so they get them involved. And again, how do they get the Romans involved? Well, they, they mention that you know, they're following another king. And so the Romans can't have that. And so uh, we notice that, um, you know, Paul's out of the picture by now. Uh, and so the only person that they uh, go to is this man by the name of Jason. And Jason, um, who apparently had been with Paul and had been converted, um, there it says in verse 9 of Acts chapter 17, and when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, uh, they released them. And so, um, you know, Paul's out of the picture and so in verses 10 through 15, notice this. Uh, the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, along with a number of prominent women, of Greek women and men. But when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul and Berea also, they came there as well, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul out to go as far as the sea, and Silas and Timothy remained there. Now those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens and received a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, and they left. So notice, you know, if Paul, Paul's here in Thessalonica, he doesn't continue on the Ignatian way, but they send him south to Berea. And he's in Berea for a short period of time, but the Jews in Thessalonica find out that he's in Berea. And so they send that mob to Berea. And so Paul's got to get out of there. They don't stay on land. They get by sea and he sends them all the way to Athens. And that's where we end uh, at Paul, uh, uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 15. Paul is now in Athens. Again, he doesn't have much time in Berea as well because that mob is following him and, and chasing him. And again, you know, this has happened in his first missionary journey. Um, it happens in the second missionary journey uh, that, that the, the, Jew, the jealous Jews, um, they, they are following Paul. They'll follow him from city to city to uh, get rid of him and his teaching. That's how much they couldn't stand the man. And so... Um, that is where we conclude, uh, because again, we are uh, going to be uh, studying First and Second Thessalonians. Again, this was an introductory class just to get us into you know where in the Book of Acts this all happened, and you know Paul establishing this congregation, planting the seeds for this church here in Thessalonia and Thessalonica, and uh, you know he's planted the seeds. He, he was there for a short period of time, 
but he's going to have to you know, write these two letters to them eventually to uh, dispel some of the, the errors that are going on, to teach uh, better to them about the second coming, because that was apparently one of the uh, main issues that they were concerned about. And so uh, hopefully the study of Acts chapter 17 uh, gets us into a better mind frame as, as we uh, go throughout this letter of you know, just what, what Paul did uh, when he was there, the short time he had with them, how he was chased out of there, uh, the coming persecution that they're going to have to endure, just like Jason. Uh, Jason and the other Christians there, they're probably going to have to endure more of this, and Paul's going to touch on that as well. And so I um, appreciate uh, your attention. Uh, I look forward to beginning chapter 1 with you uh, next week. Again, if you would read that beforehand, that would probably help uh, everyone else out. And uh, I believe our closing prayer is Brother Lenny.